Amen. Right, we're in this series uh, called Hashtag Selfie, and last week I did a little, tutor, uh, just a little uh, teaching on what a selfie was, and I think for most of you, you knew what a selfie was, and there was like one person that didn't know what a selfie was, and that was Carl, but he does now, so we're all set, and he's been posting a lot of selfies on Facebook now, so we're all set. It was kind of cool last week, some of you posted selfies of yourself in church, and posted it on your uh, on your Facebook or your Instagram. So if you want to do that, that was kind of a cool idea. So what we're going to do is we're going to do this thing, and we're, we're going to get all you guys really cool now. So what we're going to do is we're going to do this hashtag LWAG selfie. We're going to make our own hashtag for our church. Post it. Do a selfie at church. We're going to post it on hashtag LWAG, living word, A-G, LWAG selfie, and you can put it on there and be cool like the rest of us. All right, so, so here's what we've been looking at. We've been looking at what, what is a selfie. Well, it's a self-portrait. It's, it's this new word that's come out in the last couple of years. It's one of the most popular words now. Uh, it's now in the dictionary and so on and so forth. And, and I, was, I was thinking about that as I was thinking about these series of, of messages on selfie. If we were to ask ourselves, what, what, who are we? Um, what is our identity? Um, if we were to ask the question, and I were to pose to you, and you were to finish the sentence, I am a blank, right? And you were to finish that, how would we finish that statement? Would we say, you know, I am, you know, I am a good student, or, you know, I am a mechanic, or I am, you know, a mom, or I am, whatever, whatever that thing is, it, it clearly shows who we are and what we're pointing to and what we attach our identity to. And I believe that in America today, we are in an identity crisis, not really knowing who we are. And what we're doing is we're going through the book of Ephesians, Paul writing to the church in Ephesus through these six chapters, really explains who we are and what we are supposed to be. Because how many know that when we attach ourselves to something in this world to try to find out who we really are, many times we are at a loss. And, and, and here's the reason why. I, I was thinking about this when I was saying what, what people feel about themselves. And I thought, you know, if we were to um, really look at the way maybe we feel inside, I think a lot of times if we were honest with ourselves, it would reflect maybe uh, some hurt and pain that is in our lives, we may finish the sentence, I am. We may say, well, I feel like I'm ugly or I'm dumb or I never uh, measure up. Maybe we would answer that question with what we hope we were. I always remember when I was a kid, um, boxing was, was, was huge. You know, there was, you know, Muhammad Ali. Remember Muhammad Ali? And, and what was Muhammad Ali? He says, I am the Greatest. Remember that? Remember his saying? Remember he said, you know, uh, float like a bumblebee and sting like a butterfly? Remember that saying? Okay, remember? <laughs> Just want to see if you guys will. Remember he says, float like a butterfly and sting like a, a bee. Remember? He was just, he was... He was the epitome of self-confidence. Remember the, the rumble in the jungle? 
Remember all the big fights? I remember I just couldn't wait to watch those things, uh, those fights with, you know, George Foreman. And now he's making grills. You know, he's come a long way, you know. So, um, you know, the, the, many times we look and we, maybe it's something that we hope we would be. But I believe in America we fight against this image of how we want people to see us. And, and the image usually revolves around this um, um, outward image. What we do uh, what we wear, what we drive, uh, what we look like, and, and we take a lot of pride in this. Um, it, it's, you know, we, we think, it, you know, if, if I had just a little more humility, I'd be perfect, right? We, we, we take pride in, in our lives and, 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 and what we look like, and we want the world to, to see what we look like on the outside. So the selfie is the self-portrait. Take a picture of self, post it on social media, and usually it's, it's, a, it's a good picture. We can filter it to look at so, so people can comment on it. But people may say things and, and, and support the way we may feel or try to validate us. But if we could take a picture or a selfie of what's going on in the inside, I wonder what's really going on and, and, and really how that would look. And the reality is we're hurting. The reality is, even with all the amenities and all the things we have in the United States, the reality is we're hurting. And what's being reflected on the outside is not really what's being seen on the inside. And the reason I believe this is because we're, we're attaching our identity to things that really cannot give us an identity. They're short Lived. I was thinking about that. I was watching um, the baseball game last night, and I was thinking about, you know, baseball is a tough sport because um, if if you bat three hundred, th- that's a good batting percentage. That's that you get a hit three times out of ten. That's that's not bad. And I was I was watching the game, and 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 I was watching one game. One guy hits a home run, then the next time at bat, he swings out. And, and strikes out. And, and it's almost like you're only as good as your last at bat. And, and pastors can have the same problem myself. You're only as good as your last sermon, right? You're only as good as your last grade. You know, and we can get caught up in this because then it becomes this avenue of performance that, that I've got to do better than I did before. And so there's this performance trap of, of I will never measure up, and, 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 and we're taught to succeed, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but the problem is with this performance trap is that we end up falling into this trap of I don't want to disappoint anyone. And then, and then we, we, we can even bridge that over into our spiritual lives and the way we relate to God. God maybe doesn't really care about me because maybe I'm not living up to the person I'm supposed to be. I'm not, I'm not the type of Christian that I'm supposed to be. I, I make too many mistakes, and then I feel like a worthless person, or I feel unlovable. I've, I've been a failure, I'll always be. If people really knew my life, they wouldn't like me. I'm damaged goods. I've made too many mistakes in my life. I have to keep up this image. I don't want anyone to really think anything differently about me. If they only knew who I really was, I don't know if people would really like me. And so as we go through this, the book of Ephesians, um, we're going to really look at the idea of who we are in Christ and not to fall into this performance trap. So the, the big idea is this, is I need to shift my identity from what I do to who I am in Christ. There has to be this identity shift from 
who, from what I do and what I accomplish to who I am in Christ. So what, when, when that happens, I stop trying to please God or gain his approval through my performance. It, it's like a child who falls into the performance trap of always trying to please their parents by what they do. And for some reason, it never seems like it's enough. You know, you have some kids that, that just want their, they want their parents' approval. They want them to be uh, proud of them. They, they, want, they want them to say that they, they love them and so on and so forth. And for many kids, they go through their whole life and they never feel like they've measured up. And, and, this, and here's the problem. Here's the problem. This can easily become how we relate to God through a performance and not through a relationship. So what, 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 what people tend to fall into is this religious trap. We, we end up falling into a religious relationship with God and not a relationship where a religion is based on what I do and how I perform and what things that I do for God. And if I do these right things for God, then God is going to be pleased with me. And some of you were raised in that type of mentality. It's really what you do for God. You're, you're good has to outweigh your bad. And if you're doing that, then you're doing a good job. But how many know that's an endless pit that you can never fill? And so what you end up doing is you, you end up living this, this life for God that's based on performance. So maybe one week you'll do really well, and then the next week you'll mess up. And it's like being on a roller coaster with God. You have your highs, and you have really high highs, and then you'll have really low lows. And many people, when they hit the low lows, they just give up on God. They stop coming to church, and they just feel like, you know, I, I just I can't do this because I feel like I'm just not measuring up. And then we begin to compare ourselves with other people, with other Christians who say, well, I'm not like them. Um, I can't do this. And they just seem like they have it all together. Let me just say this. Nobody has it all together. Nobody has it all. I don't care how spiritual you think that person is. Everybody has messiness in their life. Everybody has some dysfunction in their life. Otherwise, we'd have perfect people, right? And we know that there's no perfect people. There's messy people. There's dysfunctional people. God knows that if God wanted us to base his relationship with us based on performance, we would all be instant failures. And there'd be nobody in church today because there'd be no use to try to serve God. And so this can easily become how we relate to God through this performance, which can lead to the idea that God is displeased with most of us most of the time. So when I understand who I am in Christ, all that changes. My identity doesn't hinge on my performance with God. Everybody say, thank God for that. Right? It's not based on performance. Um, um, so the, the, you know, so let's be careful here. Um, about this battle with performance, we need to realize that God can't love us any more or any less than he does right now. Isn't that good news? His approval for me is not based on my performance for him because then it would just become works that I do for him. And so what Paul does is, in in Ephesians chapter 2, he dispels this notion that, my relationship with him is based on performance. In fact, Paul tells us that God actually saves us 
from this notion, from this idea of performance that I have to be this certain person or I have to be this certain Christian in order to be approved by God. So what I want to do is I want to jump into Ephesians chapter 2. I want to read the first 10 verses. And um, my prayer is this. My prayer is that God's going to set some of you free today. Because there's some of you here today, um, you're just not feeling good about your walk with God. You're just not feeling good about it. You're you're just not feeling like it's up to par, that I've made some mistakes. And and is God really pleased with me? Have you ever wondered that? Is God really pleased with me? Does God really love me? Because, man, the things I thought about last week, I don't know if he really, really loves me. My prayer is that these verses would set you free today. That, that your walk with God would be filled with joy and peace. That, that your walk with God would be one that, God, I'm not trying to please you through my performance. I want to please you because of what you've done for me. And so this is, this is what Paul really lays out for us in these first 10 verses. So let's read them together. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. Ephesians chapter, I hope you guys read ahead for your homework. We're going to read the whole book of Ephesians. So for your homework, read the whole book of Ephesians. This is going to help you when you come in uh, to the services on Sunday morning as we go through uh, through these series. So let's look at at chapter 2, starting verse 1. Paul speaking, talking about grace through faith. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now that's not very encouraging, is it? But listen to what Paul says here. He says, you were once dead... And the trespasses and sins you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work at the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4. How many like that word, but? Everybody say, but God. How many know but God can change everything? Thank God for the but God. He says, listen, he didn't leave you there. Even though you're objects of God's wrath, even though you were trying to go through the performance of the world, you were led by the enemy himself, by the devil himself. He says, but God, but God, thank God for those two words. Because he didn't leave us there. He says, but God being rich in what? Mercy. Let's say it together. Mercy. What a wonderful word. Not getting what we deserve. Thank God for his mercy. He says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Now, now listen, he just got done saying we're a bunch of sinners. That we were lost in the trespasses of our sins, that we were object of God's Wrath, but he said, but God being rich in mercy and through his love, which we didn't deserve, God demonstrates his love towards us that while we were still sinners, he gave his son for us. God being rich in mercy and love didn't leave us that way. He goes, even when we were dead in our trespasses, when we didn't even have any thought of wanting to serve God or love him, or thank him. Well, we were dead in our trespasses. What he said, he made us alive together with who? With Christ. And then he says this, by grace, you have been saved. By grace, by grace. Not what you've done, 
Not by your works, not by your performance, not by how good you were, not that you had perfect attendance in Sunday school, not whether or not you went all the way through missionettes or Royal Rangers or you go to church every single week, which you should be going to church every single week. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Not because of any of those things. He said, by grace, you've been saved from these things. So what we're going to look at today is, I am saved. That's my new identity now. I am saved. So we're going to dig into that. So then he goes on and he says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places. In who again? In Christ Jesus. Okay, that's our identity now. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Keeps using that word, doesn't he? So your identity is not in your works, in your goodness, in what you've done, but it's in Christ and what he's done. Get this into your noggins, okay? We gotta get this. This is so freeing. Then he goes on to verse eight. Love these verses. We know them well. For by what? Your performance and your good works, right? No, by grace, you have been saved through what? Through your faith. And this is not by your own doing, right? But I like this. It is the gift of God, not the results of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanships created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I want you to notice Paul's words here. He describes someone who is in Christ and he uses this word saved. Now, I remember as a young person seeing a bumper sticker that says, Jesus saves. I had no idea what that meant. And I always wondered, Jesus saves. Well, that's interesting. What does that mean? I can remember going to the 1984 Olympic Games on a missions trip, witnessing trips during the 1984 Olympic Games. And on the top of a building, it was actually the Bible Institute of LA, had these huge neon lights that said, Jesus saves, right? Now, now, now for the normal person, what does this mean? Now, if, you, if you've been around any Christian circles, any amount of time, you've heard this term and people say, well, I was saved at the age of blah, 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 or I was saved and they share their testimony. And what that term means is this. They're usually speaking of the time when they came to Christ, when Christ changed our lives, when we came to him and asked for forgiveness of our sins and confessed him as Lord and Savior. So we're talking about Jesus saved me as a sinner. He rescued me. However, in this passage, Paul goes much deeper in this term than just using it as a past tense. I was saved in 1982 or I was saved in 1992, whatever it is. Paul uses this verse, this term in these verses by saying, listen, this is who we are in Christ now. I am saved now, what does that mean? Because that, that's our identity now. Paul uses this as our identity as a follower in Christ. And so, so what he says is, it's not just a past tense. Paul uses the word to describe the past, the present, and the future. I'm saved in Christ. I'm saved now. And I will be eventually completely saved. We are saved. We are being saved. And we will ultimately be Saved. Now, what does this all mean? Because this is crucial for us to understand. understand. 
Why do we need saving? Can I just be good? Isn't, isn't that enough? Jesus' purpose for coming to earth was to seek and save that which was lost. Save us from what? Do we really need saving? I didn't think I need saving. You know, for most people, they'll see the, the bumper sticker, Jesus saves, and they'll think, okay, that's nice. I have no idea what that means, but that's nice. What do I need saving from? Well, Jesus came to save us from sin. And in order to completely embrace Christ and what he did for us, I have to come to the realization that I need saving. And for me personally, that was probably my biggest struggle as a teenager hearing the gospel message. See, I saw others who I thought needed saving because I didn't think, well, I'm not the drug addict or the alcoholic or blah, blah, blah. These things aren't ruining my life. And and here's the biggest problem I had. I, I had... No problem with others who needed Jesus. I thought, well, isn't that special? They need him and, and, and good for them. I had no problem with the person of Jesus. I had no problem with him being God. If you were to ask me, is Jesus God? I would have told you, yeah, he is. Um, is Jesus Lord? I would have said yes. Did he die for my sins? I would have said yes. I, I would have said yes to all those things. Now, Who Jesus was and his identity was not the issue for me. I had no problem with those truths. However, it was only in my thinking. It wasn't until I came to the realization that I was a sinner who needed saving that changed everything. See, here's the thing I needed to realize in my life when I juxtaposed it against what Christ did. I had to see my identity apart from Jesus. Now catch this. This is so important. Catch this. I had to see my identity apart from Jesus. I had to see myself as a sinner, period. That I didn't, I didn't measure up to Christ. He was perfect. I was kind of like the person that was kind of benign about it. I was kind of like uh, blasé about it. I was kind of like, hey, I'm a good kid. I don't, I'm, I'm not doing anything really wrong. I, I wouldn't say I'm perfect, but I'm okay. Christianity can kind of fit me like a glove. Jesus is a good guy. He's Savior. That's kind of nice. Other people that are really sinners, they really need him and kind of need him for a crutch. That's nice. But I can do my Sunday morning Jesus thing. I, I, can, I can accept Jesus for what he did. But I didn't see myself apart from Christ. I just kind of saw myself as a good person. And it wasn't until I saw myself as a sinner apart from Christ that I saw my need for saving. Does that, does that make sense? Now, now, now catch it here. This is important because we got a lot of people running around saying they're Christians that aren't. Did I just say that? Did I, did I just say that? I did, didn't I? We got a lot of people that are running around that, 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 oh wow, I was raised in a Christian home or, yeah, I believe in these Christian things. And we got, we got 70% of our nation saying that they're Christians. Really? 70% that say they're Christians. Now, if 70% of people said they're Christians, would we not see a lot different country today than we see today? Can I get an amen? Okay. Now, now you just woke up. So here's the problem. According to this, what Paul says, our identity we see is not apart from Christ. We're not, there's, there's a disconnect there in our country about really what a Christian is. 
And until we see it this way, we're not going to see our need for Christ. See, my identity apart from Jesus was, wow, my sin stinks just like everyone else's does. And once I saw my identity apart from Christ, listen, listen, listen. Once I saw my identity apart from Christ, then I saw my need for Christ. See, until I saw my identity apart from Christ, then I saw my need for Christ. And apart from Christ, I was sinking. I was sinking fast. I always remember hearing this true story about a teenager who lived in Florida, went with a youth group swimming, and he couldn't swim. And the teens coaxed him out in the water and said, hey, there's a sandbar here, and it's up to your waist. You'll be fine. We'll take care of you. Come out and, and you know, throw the ball around and stuff like that. So he did. Well, what happened was the tide was quickly coming in, and that, that um, sandbar was quickly eroding away until he found himself over his head in the water, and he was drowning. And the kids were all playing, and they didn't even notice this guy until it was almost too late, until a lifeguard saw him drowning and lifted his hands out and grabbed him at the last minute to save his life and avoid a disastrous situation. See, until we realize we are drowning in our sins, we will never see our need for a savior. We don't need a life jacket until we realize we are drowning. So my identity is not because I go to church or because I was raised this way or because I have some belief about Jesus or that I think Jesus is a neat guy or that I even believe that Jesus is Lord. Because even the demons believe that. The only way I'm going to truly find myself in Christ until I get to the point where I identify I identify myself apart from Christ for my need for him. Then I understand what saving is. Then I understand, whoa, okay, this is serious business. Jesus came for sinners. Jesus didn't come for the well. You know, the well don't need a physician, right? The, the sick are the ones that need a physician. Jesus says, I didn't come for those that are well. I came for those that are sick, those that recognize, hey, I need a doctor. I need someone to take care of me. I need someone to help me. I'm lost. And when you get to that point, you will begin to identify yourself now with Christ because of what he's done for you. So what I want to do is I want to give you three things that we're saved from because this is so important. So you understand what it means to be saved. And, and the three things that, that we're saved from that Paul talks about is we're saved from sin, death, and judgment. And when, I'm, when my identity is in Christ, there's a freedom and there's a joy that I have that I'm now in right relationship with God. So the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 6.23. So what we see here is that death is the great ultimate equalizer. We all will die, and, and, and it all kind, sounds kind of obvious, but death is what separates us from life. Death is what separates us from God, both in the physical realm and spiritual. And Paul tells us that we were dead in our sins. So he saves us from our sins. The, the, the word translated dead there, when Paul says you were dead in your transgressions and your sin, 
in the Greek language that the Bible was written in, the, the, the word translated there literally means dead. You, 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 were, you were dead. We were lifeless. There's nothing we could do to resuscitate ourselves. Spiritually, we were dead. We were separated from God because of sin. Without Christ, we will die in our sins, eternally separated from God. But the good news here that Paul says is God did something about it. Paul tells us that God being rich in mercy and out of his love for us allowed us to be saved through his grace by putting our faith in Christ. So in Christ, I am now saved from the penalty of sin, which leads to death. Now, how do I know that? Well, Jesus conquered sin through the cross and death. Through his resurrection. He conquered sin. Through the cross. By becoming our substitute. And he died in our place. He took our penalty. He appeased God's righteous demands. And because of. Because Jesus was perfect. It means that his sacrifice. Was perfect. And so he conquered. Death. And sin through his resurrection and through Christ we become spiritually alive. And one day our bodies too will be resurrected with new heavenly bodies. Amen. So, so what, what, what God is saying, saying here is you were dead. You couldn't resuscitate yourself. But out of my love for you and out of my great mercy, I came to restore that which was broken. I came to give life. To the very thing that was dead. So in Christ. You now receive this new life. So what I'm saved from. Is I'm saved from sin. That results in death. And separation from God. And God gives me this new life in Christ. And the hope that I have. Is because all of it is founded. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's my hope. Now now here's the third thing. Here, here's the really important thing. I, I think the thing that we may overlook. And not realize. But we're also saved from God's judgment. And we're no longer enemies of God. But friends. No longer objects of God's wrath. Paul said before Christ. Before you were in Christ. You were actually objects. Of God's wrath. Because of your sin. Here's the reason why. You think well that's kind of mean. Why why is God like that? Why would God look at us as object of his wrath? Because sin has to be judged. And so what God did for us in his great mercy and love for us, what he did for us is he made his son the object of his wrath when he allowed him to die on the cross. This word propitiation, he became that atonement, that object of his wrath. It was poured out on his son for you and I. If you don't think God loves you, I want you to look up at the cross. That's how much he loves you. He was willing to give his son as a substitute, to pour out his wrath on him, to allow him to be a substitute for our sin so that it would appease the holiness of God. So that when God looks at us, those who are in Christ, he now sees us as friends because of the work of his son. That's all initiated by my faith in him. I'm saved from God's wrath. Man, th there's, there is nothing that we could ever go through in this world that could ever get us to the point to where we're sad or, or down and say, man, this world has really, really got the best of me. When we can say, you know what, though? Even with all the stuff that I go through in this world, I'm friends with God.
He's the one that we have to worry about the most, right? And now I am friends with God. I am no longer an object of his wrath because of what Christ has done for me. You've been saved by grace through your faith in Christ Jesus, which, which now, Paul says in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2, results in good works. So what Paul is saying here is, he's saying that, that our works, are, they're not the thing that saves us, but they're a result of what Jesus had done in us. It's kind of like fruit. Um, I'm not using these works to get to God like every other religious system in the world. In fact, my good works are a reflection of God's deep work of grace in my heart and life through his son. That's probably the best thing I said in a while. So let me say it again because some of you didn't catch that. My good works are a reflection of God's deep work of grace in my heart through his son. Isn't that good? So it, it, my, my works are not a result of, of performance to try to gain God's love and acceptance, right? It's, you know, we as kids, we want to do good things. We bring home the, you know, the, the report card and mommy, mommy, daddy, look at, I got an A. I got, oh, good, honey, I love it. Which never happens in our house. But anyway, let's think about that for a moment. Let's pretend that it did happen in our house. You know, but instead, it's, it's, it's when a parent says to a kid, I want you to do well. I, I want you to succeed and so on and so forth. But my love for you will never, ever change. Can you imagine God saying, this is what, listen, this is what God is saying to us. Listen, there's nothing you can do that's going to change my love for you. Because it's not based in what you do. It's based on what my son has already done for you. Stop trying to gain my approval by what you do. Because it's not going to change my love for you. Some of you need to hear this. That's God's grace. So how does that, listen, listen, listen. How does that make me respond? Does it make me respond by being a worse sinner? No. What it does is when I realize God's grace, now it's a relationship that I want to develop, not through my performance, but through my gratitude for what Christ has done for me. Now I want to serve God, not because I'm going to gain special access to God or that God's going to love me more. Now what it does is, when I understand the grace that God has saved me through, it humbles me. It gives me gratitude for what God has done. Now I want to serve him because I love him. Not because I'm worried that, that I do enough to gain access into heaven. Because there's nothing I can do to ever gain, enough good works ever do to, to, to gain access to heaven. Now everything I do is based in Christ. And what he's already done for me. That I'm his child. That I'm saved. I'm saved from sin. You know, I'm saved from death. I'm saved from God's judgment. And now I walk in this newness of Christ that wants to serve God. Now, how do you know that you are saved? Are you ready? This is what you have to come to realize. If you get this, you're saved. You get it. If you get this, if you understand this, if you've applied this to your life, you get it. I heard Tim Keller say this, Pastor Tim Keller, and it was just so good. So it just helped me. It caused me to actually stop in the midst of my jogging and get down on my knees and thank God in the middle of Trillium Trail. No, I'm just teasing. But it was so good when I was, I had to go home, get the podcast back out and write this down because it was so good. Are you ready? Oh. Mm. Okay. Listen. When we realize we are more wicked 
and flawed than we'd ever dare believed. Yet, at the very same time, we are more affirmed, valued, and wanted more than we ever hoped for. That's a follower of Christ. When you can realize that you are an object of God's wrath, that we are more wicked and flawed than we'd ever dare believe, but yet at the same exact time, more affirmed, valued, and wanted more than we'd ever dared hoped. That's God's grace. You get it. Because now what you realize is it's not based on you. It's completely everything hinges on God's grace. Everything. It's a gift that he gives you. Not based on your works, but based on his son, Jesus Christ, and what he's already done for you. I want you to find yourself in Jesus and find that freedom of what he did. Um, here's, here's, here, let, let me finish with this. Here's how it results. Okay, so how does this look? How do I really know that I get it, Pastor? I know that I get it. Because I think the problem for Christians is going from here, 18 inches, to here. Because we may get it up here, but then it doesn't translate to my heart and the way I live it every day. So how do we get this? Well, I heard this quote from Mother Teresa, and I just thought this was good. Because she talked about what true humility is. And when I understand what I'm saved from and what God did for me, man, I, I, I begin to serve God and serve others, and I look at the world in a completely different way. Can I get an amen? Your heart changes. You, you, you begin to do things you thought, well, man, I wouldn't have reacted that way before I knew Jesus and what God saved me from, right? Everything changes, right? When you understand that you were an object of God's wrath and you didn't deserve forgiveness, all of a sudden... You start to change in the way you give forgiveness, right? So she, she just said a couple of things here, and I, just, I wrote them down. And when I was studying last night a little bit more, I, I found this, and I just thought it was good. Here's how you know. Are you ready? Because when we know that we're saved by God's grace, it produces humility in our life. So here's what it looks like. Here's what she said. I like some of the things she said here. She says, when we understand this, we speak as little of ourselves as possible. When we understand God's grace, we're very careful not to mind other people's business. These are going to hurt. So I'm just saying they hurt me last night. I didn't want to read them, but I'm saying I better read them because they're speaking to my heart too. When we really understand humility and God's grace, we accept correction cheerfully. When we really understand God's grace and it produces humility in our heart, we pass over the mistakes of others. Hello. When we truly understand God's grace and what he saved us from, we accept insults and injuries. When we understand God's grace, which produces humility in our heart, we learn to accept being slighted and forgotten and disliked. 
when we understand this grace which produces humility in our heart, we learn to be kind and gentle, even under provocation, even when people come against us. There is, listen, listen, listen. There is no provocation or, or when someone comes against us, at no time should we ever give an unchristian response. At no time. Now, have I been perfect in that area? Absolutely no. But let's, but when we understand what we're saved from, it guards our heart from this. When we understand God's grace and what he saved us from, saved us from sin and death and God's judgment, we never stand on our own dignity. And we understand this grace and this mercy that we've been saved with. We always choose what is always the hardest. No one ever said being a Christian was easy. No one ever said it was an easy road. Here's where I think we need to be careful. I'm just saying, as a Christian, we have laid our rights down at the foot of the cross. We have laid our rights down. The Bible says you were bought with a price. And when I understand the price that I was bought with, it changes my heart. Now, does that mean I live a perfect life? Does that mean I never make mistakes? I do. We all do. But here's the thing. Guys, when I continually go back to the cross and I continually find myself in Christ Jesus, it's going to humble me every single time to, to redirect my life, recalibrate my life again to understand what I've been saved from. Because I know as me, I've been saved over 30 years and I can be like the crusty cereal that gets left on the edge of the cereal bowl when you don't put water in it. Right? Don't you love cleaning those bowls out? Right? You got to get the, you know, you got to get a jackhammer out to get the cereal off it. Right? You know what I'm saying? Right? And what happens, let me just say this, what happens, the longer we become Christians, the more calloused we can become. And we can get crusty. And the, 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 the more crust that gets on our heart, the harder it is for God to jackhammer that thing off our heart. We say, I've been wrong. And I've been and how dare they talk to me? Don't they know who I'm doing? Right? And Jesus says, do you realize what, I just, what I've done for you? Do you realize, do you read the gospels? Do you realize what they put me through? Do you realize what the apostles were put through? See, it changes my heart. Mercy and grace applied to my life changes me. And if I, tr- listen, listen, listen. If I've truly identified myself with Christ, I lay my life down. I lay my, my desires down. I lay what I want down for the sake of Christ, that he would be exalted in my life. So how does that help me in my everyday living? Well, now I don't attach myself to my job and all those other things. Now, do we, should we do well and should that be a witness to the world? Yes, we should do well in our jobs. We should be the ones that use integrity and are the best workers and so on and so forth and use integrity in our decisions. We make, yes, 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 yes. But that's not my identity. I don't use that as a badge of honor to say, look how great I am. I use that to say, this is what Christ has done in me. And I'm willing to go the extra mile 
because Christ went the extra mile for me. So when everybody else in the office or in the world is saying, well, they don't, you know, they, they shouldn't, they shouldn't forgive. And people in the world just want to jump on Christians who make mistakes and say, see, I told you, look at them. They're just like, blah, 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 right? I'm not going to be part of that. I'm not going to be part of that. I'm not going to be part of the judging, finger pointing, everything else, because that's not Christ. Remember, every time we point the finger, there's three pointing back at us, right? So just remember that. Every time we judge someone, every time we look, you know, at the speck in somebody else's eye, Jesus is saying, hey, 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 there's a big plank in your own eye, right? Let his grace and mercy humble you. Let it change your heart. Find your identity in him. And you know what happens? You find a joy that you never had before. Because now you're in him. Now you're in him. And it's not based on what you do or don't do. It's based on what he's done for you. Amen. So let's stand this morning. I want to pray for you as I let you off into this beautiful, wonderful day. Um, Let's, this week, let's, I, I really, really want you to read through the book of Ephesians. So if you haven't, this is your second chance to do it. Read through it and, and, and allow the circumstances in your life, what you're faced with each and every day, um, to give you that opportunity to say, Christ, how do you want me to respond this way? And let me respond in humility and what you've done for me. It doesn't mean, when, let me make, make myself clear. That doesn't mean we become doormats and just let people walk all over. I mean, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when we're in a situation that we can react differently with a Christ-like attitude, let that be your God. Say, Christ, how do you want me to react to this thing? Because I don't want to act like the world. I don't want what everybody else is doing. I want this to be different. So humble me in this situation so that I identify with you and not my personal feelings and not, you know, not something that I feel like I, you know, I've got to stand up for myself and make sure that my voice is heard. Yeah, 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 right? Um, Christ, how do you want me to react in this? And, and let that be our guide as we identify with Christ. You are saved. Wow. We're saved. We're saved. We're saved from sin, death, and wrath. We've got a lot to be thankful for. 